0: to keep talking about the Valley of Guanji here in episode 30 of Monster Kid Radio. Tracy Morris from the Disney Indiana podcast is joining me, Derek M. Cook, to talk about the film a little bit more, talk about its influence, a little bit more about the behind the scenes, and maybe talk a little bit about Disney and how, well, she's a Disney podcaster. So we'll get into that as well. You can find out more about their podcast at Disney Indiana. Dot com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. We'll also have a link to the Bandcamp page for the band Mumula. The song that you heard at the top of the show is Mumula versus the Moon Men. You'll hear that song in its entirety at the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. After Tracy and I finish talking about the Valley of Guanji, we're going to have Tom Bigler on the show to talk a little bit about the Vincent Price film. Well, I don't want to ruin it for you, but he sent in a reaction piece to the Vincent Price coverage that... Larry Underwood and I talked about here on the show a while back. Speaking of Tom, he was a man who donated the mini bust from Matango that he created for the show. One of a kind piece. Next week, we're going to announce the winner of that Matango mini bust. And I know for a fact that he's working on something new, a future contest that you can take part in. And maybe you'll end up with an original piece of art from Monster Kid and sculptor Tom Biegler. Big thanks to everybody who has given us support over in the iTunes store by giving us a review or for liking us over on Facebook. Really appreciate everybody's support of Monster Kid Radio. I mean, we're still a relatively young show. We just launched back in May. I'm having a blast doing the show, though, and I hope you guys and girls are enjoying what you hear on the show. And speaking of which, why don't we let you hear more about the Valley of Guanji with Tracy Morris from Disney, Indiana, right after this.
1: Hammer Film Productions began in 1934 and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey.
0: Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper, the gothic storytelling, the
2: incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer,
1: that 1972 black exploitation film starring Fred Williams. Love that movie. Hammer! This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com Better not be
2: the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg. You know, the Hebrew Hammer?
1: 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion.
0: Harryhausen was a master of imbuing his creations with, for lack of a better term, sense of humanity. I mean, these are creatures, these are animals, these are dinosaurs, monsters, whatever. But little scratch of the nose, the the cock of the head is our kind of look. When you see El Diablo come out of the little house, it's not just a monster. It's not just a special effect. There's a real sense of wonder here that – Man, I wish you had more of these days. You know.
3: Mm-hmm. There was another in the the documentary I mentioned. There, a the little clip where Harryhausen talks about. There's one scene once they're back in the valley, and they're trying to recapture El Diablo. The little horse runs up to one of the bigger horses. Yes. Reaches down and they t- they kind of like touch noses.
0: Oh my god, that was adorable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Harryhausen said they just happened to have that film of the horse with his, the, the real horse with its nose down near the ground. And so they decided, oh, well, why don't we use that? And so it was just kind of serendipitous that they had the film and they decided, oh, well, let's do a little bit with the with the El Diablo interacting with the bigger horse.
0: Which is so true to life. It's what horses, it's what animals do. Mm-hmm. It was one oh. That's actually one of my most favorite heartwarming scenes, I guess. And when it sh- when it comes to Harryhausen's monsters and creatures, I mean, it's so wonderful, and real.
3: I also really enjoy the scene where they are trying to capture the Allosaur, the Guanji, using you know the ropes, and again that yeah. it. It is seamless for, especially for the time period. Now, the, the movie was released in nineteen sixty nine, which, for me, feels it's in terms of Harryhausen's career is kind of mid mid late career. Would that be fair to say? I
0: think that's fair. I think that's fair.
3: And you know, just the way you you see on the same screen, you see the cowboys on their horses with the ropes going up around the neck of the dinosaur who's moving back and forth and the horses and the the cowboys are, everything's in sync. And, you know, Harryhausen did not have, there wasn't a video feed that he could watch <laughs> while he was doing all this. It was all, you know, his memory, his sense of timing.
0: That's just incredible. It's so well done. I mean, a lot of it, you can tell we're about to see a Harryhausen shot because it's all very medium length shots. You know, you can see the, the ground and the sky and the foreground. I mean, you know it's about to, you know when it's being set up for you, but then when the dinosaurs show up, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just.
3: One minor quibble yeah. I had was the color matching. Okay. Now the lighting was good, but the, especially like the Guanji character, the, it was, you know, the dinosaur was purple. Honestly, it looked like Barney showed up in a couple of the shots. It was, oh, that, it was that no! Perfect. At least on on the what I was seeing, so that that took a little bit away. But then again, it's you know Technicolor. You're going to have those brighter colors too. And again, reading in the uh, art of Harry House, he said that was one frustrating element for him is there just wasn't time for him to do the proper because there were so many scenes he was responsible for, he didn't have the time to do as much of the color and lighting matching as he would normally have wanted to do.
0: It makes me wonder if he had had an opportunity to go back to uh, see this reprocessed color-wise, if he would have, because you know he was involved in the colorization process of some of his earlier films. Mm -hmm. This one was shot in color, but I wonder if he would have had an opportunity to go back and redo it, if he would have been involved with that or on board with that, because I can see that, there's also a, a textural change in the film a little bit for some of the uh, dinosaur mm-hmm. scenes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it takes away from the movie. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't. But I wonder what this would look like remastered, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see some, some color correction done. Of course, now nowadays they're saying that maybe dinosaurs were a lot more brightly colored than what we think of.
0: That's true. That's true. I mean, this was what, 1969? Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to find out that uh, well, Harryhausen was right. Yeah, me too. I, I think that just is how it should be. <laughs> as far as the legacy of this film and how important this film is in terms of Harryhausen, I think. Well, we talked about it when we had Scott on the show. Harryhausen's influence is felt everywhere so much so that it's even mentioned in Monsters Inc. You know, Harryhausen had a huge impact on these kinds of movies that we love. Does Harryhausen get a nod in Monsters University?
3: Not specifically that I can recall. Okay. But unfortunately, it looks like the the film on its initial release did not do
0: very well. Yeah, the studio wasn't too keen on it. They released it with a biker film as a double feature, which just seems weird.
3: I guess monster films were kind of going out of style. Again, this is 1969. Yeah, Which is kind of late in the scope of where, you know, monster kid radio kind of the, the, where at the time frame you like to cover. Yeah. I agree that this film deserves a lot better publicity. It deserves more attention than maybe it has gotten over the right. years.
0: Well, in the film that he did before this was uh, 1 million years BC, which uh, Scott and I and Casey Criswell just covered on 1951 down place. Uh, Harry hasn't actually told house of hammer magazine that this was the movie that he went on to go do next instead of doing Hammer's follow up dinosaur film. You know, at this point, wasn't Harry Housen living in England? So he was kind of away from the Hollywood scene. I, I think you're right. So, you know, that might have had something to do with it. It's kind of hard to tell, you know, what, what all the factors were in terms of downplaying this movie, because I think this movie really has a lot going for it and should have done better and deserves a nice Blu ray release now.
3: It does. Again, I th- and maybe it's the, the subject matter overall in the, the timing. Because again, westerns were kind of fading from yeah. a- attention in the public media. Monster movies were fading. Yeah. If this movie had been released even five years earlier, yeah, I think it would be so much
0: better known. That's true. I mean, it has Saturday matinee written all over it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it maybe it feels like a drive-in movie when you saw it at the B movie festival or, or a celebration. Was it shown in a theater or because sometimes they do drive-in movies there as well? Was it done theatrically or drive-in wise?
3: It w- it was at the Artcraft. Oh, it's oh, like, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's it, right. It, it, this this is a, would have been a perfect drive-in movie. You think so? Oh, I think
0: so. And like you were saying earlier, it's got the Lope character, so it's got you know something for the little kids. It's got mm-hmm. someone for the older guys. You know, the older kids. Uh, You've got the love story in there. I mean, it's got so much going for it. Now, this movie came about because Harry Housen was looking for the next project and came across a number of notes and I believe even a script that his mentor, the creator of King Kong, Willis O'Brien, had been working on. So it makes sense that this movie has some elements that we would see or that we did see in King Kong, the finding something out in the wild, bringing it back into civilization to mixed results. So it makes sense.
3: Yeah, I'm looking here at uh, Wikipedia, and it mentions that the the plot was actually inspired by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's book, The Lost World, mm-hmm. and had the, those added elements from King Kong. So, yeah, Harryhausen definitely plays homage to O'Brien,
0: or Obi, as he calls him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, affectionately known as Obi, somebody who I believe did not get the respect at the end that the studio's owed him uh, he had a pretty rough life too had a pretty tragic life and some circumstances involving death of his children and, and some other things that had happened to him yes for as put upon as o, obi or o'brien was in his life harry is always very quick to mention o'brien is you know the reason that he does what he does the man that inspired him his mentor his teacher you know his employer at one point and I've always appreciated that about Harryhausen and all the interviews that he ever gave.
3: And I'm glad that Harryhausen lived long enough to be able to see his legacy appreciated.
0: Yes. I mean, his work, so influential. I mean, we did the three-week series for on Months we get Radio. The B-Movie cast did a month plus <laughs> of talking about Harryhausen films. I think between the two of us, between us and B-Movie cast, I don't know if there are any other Harryhausen movies that haven't been touched on yet. <laughs> I think we've all <laughs> talked about them in depth. Uh, uh, maybe Clash of the Titans hasn't been talked about too much, which is the only one I saw theatrically growing up.
3: Same, yeah. Same with me. I think.
0: Yeah, that that movie poster actually gave me nightmares. Uh, the image of the Medusa on a movie poster terrified me as a kid. Hmm. Just the movie, the poster itself. I used to dream that the poster would come to life and the Medusa would come out and chase me.
3: Interesting. <laughs> One of my cousins actually was inspired to do make his own stop motion movies. Oh yeah. Partially due to Clash of the Titans, and he ended up becoming an animator as his career. I distinctly remember him, you know, filming up at our family cottage, scenes you know, where he'd, he'd make little clay versions of the characters, and it was on the beach. Uh huh. Yeah, Harry Harryhausen has quite a legacy.
0: Definitely now. When we talked about getting you on the show, you picked this movie. Was there a particular reason why you picked this one outside of just this one you saw at the Artcraft?
3: Part of the reason I picked it is it's, like I said, it seems to have kind of slipped through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And it has a fairly strong female role uh, character.
0: Right. With TJ.
3: With TJ. I kind of got into the whole concept of cowboys versus dinosaurs. I just (laughs) thought that was a very clever combination.
0: And the, the execution was just perfect. Tracy likes cowboys and dinosaurs. Scott's a very lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that there's this strong female character who's a business owner. Yeah, she has to deal with the matters of the heart, just like you know all of us. But she doesn't let that dictate her actions for the entire movie. I do like that about TJ in here. Even though her voice is terribly dubbed, I think Golan did a wonderful job portraying this prototypical Modern-ish kind of woman? She definitely didn't fit into the time period. I mean, she was she was a modern woman placed back into, you know, the 1900s. That's true. Yeah, you're right. There is this weird kind of... And maybe that's why she called herself TJ, to kind of hide her sex. Yeah, probably. You know? Although it's interesting that
3: we never do find out what the T and the J stand for.
0: That's a really good point. I figured uh,
3: at least Tuck would have have called her by a a sweet little nickname at some point.
0: Huh. Tiffany, Terry, Teresa, Terry Joe. I don't know. No, you're right. No, I like TJ, though. I like, you know, it has this kind of tomboy kind of quality to it as well. Interesting character to include in a turn-of-the-century style story. You keep saying, you know, historically it doesn't make sense, and I'm always thinking, but it's 1960, so wait a minute. You know, it's early 1900s, so. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned briefly the music. I love the music in this. I know when it comes to Harry Harryhausen's films, a lot of the music that's associated with him is uh, Bernard Herrmann, because he did the Sinbad movies. But I really enjoyed the music in this. Everybody knows I'm a soundtrack collector, so I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I've got this on my iPod.
3: I really thought the music enhanced the film.
0: Uh, yeah.
3: When the characters get to... Uh, or I guess it's just outside the forbidden valley but there's one scene where they're trying to recapture El Diablo the hippocampus or the the ehippus uh uh-huh. and the music takes on kind of a little comedic feel you know because they're they're do, there's a couple pratfall scenes yeah and and the music again kind of supports that idea that oh we're having fun ha 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 this is amusing
0: yeah it's an adventure you know <laughs> It's not so deadly serious and monsterific. It's, there's a sense of fun and playfulness, uh, especially during that scene. It's definitely a Western score through and through as well. I mean, Jerome Morris's most well-known score is probably from The Big Country, which I believe is a Western. I think this is the only time he did a Harry Harryhausen film. Hmm. He was an associate of Bernard Herman, so I don't know if maybe that was the connection between him and Harryhausen, how he got involved. I don't know if he was a studio guy. I, I don't really know. I don't know a lot about him as a guy. I just know that I really love the music in this film, and it definitely, like you said, it enhances that scene. That kind of, well, I, I think you're, I think you nailed it. Calling him Falls. I think you nailed it.
3: One thing I thought was interesting, you know, when I went back and, and did some research, you know, the movie is supposedly set south of the border. Well, it turns out that border was the border between France and Spain. Because <laughs> this movie was filmed in Almeria and Cuenca, Spain. Mm-hmm. And I honestly yeah, wouldn't have known that at all. Because it, it looks like I've been to places out in the southwest that look like where this was filmed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was all shot in Spain. Uh, the cathedral that we were talking about earlier... Is in Spain. It is what the I, didn't, I, the I had the name.
3: Yeah, the Quinca Cathedral.
0: Yeah, so it's all shot in Spain. Uh, at this point, Harry House is living in the UK as it is, so I'm sure it's just a <laughs> a, a long car ride up. I don't know <laughs> to get to work. And again, also feels very in line historically, production wise, with a lot of the westerns that were being shot in Europe anyway. That's true. So you have this wonderful backdrop. Uh, the valley is amazing. I love the valley. I don't know yeah. where that valley was shot. Yeah, it says the unusual rock formations of
3: Ciudad Encantada near Cuenca were used for the Forbidden Valley.
0: Yeah, I would. I would love to see that. I don't know. I'd love to see somebody maybe go back and revisit that area. Maybe for the Blu-ray release, that I would love somebody to put together of <laughs> the Valley of Guanji. Go back to Spain and show us what it looks like now, because it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Oh, and apparently it appeared in a couple of other. Mo- <laughs> really? It appeared in Conan the Barbarian? Apparently so. Wow. Conan versus dinosaurs. Huh. Well, before I get too lost in my own imaginings here, uh, Tracy, is there anything else that we need to say about The Valley of Guanji other than if you guys haven't seen it, if you guys and y'all have not seen it, you need to go back and watch it. It's a great movie. It really is. It holds up so well.
3: In my mind, it is a cut or two above the typical B-movie of the 50s and 60s. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, the, the description, you know, cowboys versus dinosaurs sounds so cheesy, but it's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. You, you get a good human story, you get the, you know, magnificent
0: stop motion action of Harryhausen. It's a lot of fun. And you get Richard Carlson. Come on. Man knows how to, you know, stand up to a monster or two. I mean <laughs> Got my boy yep. representing. <laughs> I had forgotten he was in it actually, so uh, such a good film, and I'm glad Tracy brought it to the table. And, yeah, I mean, see it. Watch it. You should have collect in your collection. I've added it to my Amazon wish list, so I don't have to rely on Netflix. And speaking of Blu-ray, Harryhausen on Blu-ray, unrelated a little bit uh, to this movie outside of the Harryhausen connection, Twilight Time has announced that they're going to be putting out the last two Sinbad movies that Harryhausen did on Blu-ray. They'll be coming out in December. Uh, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad and Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger will be coming out on blue. Those were movies from 73 and 77 respectively. There's a number of Harryhausen films on Blu-ray already. I'd love to see Guanji get the Blu-ray treatment at some point. Obviously, if it does happen, we'll try to talk about it here on Monster Kid Radio.
3: And we just got the DVD of the recent Harryhausen retrospective documentary.
0: Oh, isn't that good?
3: We watched it when it was um, played on TV a couple months ago. And just just got the DVD over the
0: weekend, a Blu-ray over the weekend. Ray Harryhausen special effects titan. Yes. Yeah, that is. That is awesome. Awesome. You had said earlier, it's so wonderful that he got to see the impact that his work has had on others, and I think this documentary is a wonderful love letter to the impact Harryhausen has had. I picked it up when it was released as a Region Two release. Uh, believe earlier this year beginning of this year Mhm.
3: that's that's what we ended up with yeah the
0: region too yeah it has had some television airings and i'm sure if it hasn't already it will be eventually released here in the states as a region one or region a if it's on blu-ray i found it amusing and i can't remember if it was john landis i kept saying this that he would call what Harryhausen did the first digital effects because he used his digits his fingers to manipulate everything so i always laughed whenever i heard that <laughs> um i also giggle Whenever I watch it and I see James Cameron talking about Harryhausen, well, he would have used computers if he had them back then. But then, in the very next shot, somebody would say, "Oh no, Harryhausen doesn't like computers at all." <laughs> so.
3: I'd say, "Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't know how Cameron can say that because you know Harryhausen—he he just passed away this year. He yeah. had plenty of exposure <laughs> to computer graphic capabilities and yeah. I mean, he, he used, where his skills
0: lie." And he used optical effects. I mean. Optically that's how he put these things in there. So he, he was not above using technology apart from the stop motion. I mean that's that's just part of the deal. I can't imagine any of Harryhausen's, especially his signature creations, being rendered in CGI and working at the same level. I, I can't see the Kraken. I can't see anything from the Sinbad movies as a CGI creation and still get that sense of wonder yeah. and movement mm-hmm. and life. Just doesn't work. I mean, there's so much of what Harryhausen put into his his babies, basically his monsters, his creatures.
3: And again, being a Disney fan, it's it's easy to see which animators, you know, they are they are actors. You know, they just act through the medium of their drawing instead of their bodies. You know, they put themselves into the characters they create. Yeah. You, know, you, you see that with the greatest animators, you see that with, with stop-motion animation, you know, and of course you see that with Harryhausen.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any Disney animators that you can think of that you would like link to that style, that wonderment that Harryhausen brings to the table? Or any specific movies that may have had that obvious influence all over it?
3: Again, unfortunately bringing the, the whole CG into this, but Toy Story. you know, Who would think of bringing toys to life? and having them be rich characters with their backstories.
0: No, that makes sense. And not just because there's a dinosaur in there. You know, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah.
3: okay, now, now I want to go back and watch those movies and see if there is any reference to, to Harryhausen's dinosaur work in, in Rex's lines or anything. He does.
0: <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense, though. I mean, there's a, a sense of richness and life that existed before somebody said, action, and started rolling camera, you know? it's definitely that in the Toy Story films. I think Pixar, especially the Pixar productions, but when it comes to Disney are all very good at imbuing a sense of life and wonder in their characters, which mm-hmm. I think is probably the best way to describe them. I think Harryhausen referred to him as his characters, not necessarily his monsters, but yeah. you know, the, these are real characters. And I think the Pixar philosophy had to have been influenced. Mm-hmm. A little bit by what Harryhausen did, right? I mean, that's, you can't not see that.
3: Oh, I, I would definitely agree with that, that they, I'm sure they s- spent time, you know, studied his work and looked at how to apply it. Because again, if, if you go back to the CG work, they build their characters from the inside out. They build armatures just as Harryhausen did. You know, they build the skeletons of their characters and then layer on... You know in the case of live characters they layer on muscles they layer on skin they layer on fur so they they follow some of the same rules the same restrictions that Harry did mm-hmm. just on the computer
0: instead it's, it's just a different art form it's the a- love that goes into that art form though that informs it and creates the rich characters that you don't see and I mean there's a reason why we think of Harryhausen. Harryhausen wasn't the only guy who did stop motion. I mean there was other start motion projects happening around the same time Harryhausen did. There are other guys who did it other than O'Brien. But there's a reason why we think of O'Brien and Harryhausen when we think stop motion. There's even a movie that came out Like five years before the Valley of Guanji, called The Beast of Hollow Mountain, which is a western with has dinosaurs in it, and there's a cowboy, and I mean O'Brien even kinda sorta wrote the script, but he wasn't involved, and there's a reason why this movie has yet to have a proper DVD release. Whereas Guanji is easy to get your hands on. There's a certain magic to it. Have you seen The Beast of Hollow Mountain?
3: Um, I have not. This is the kind of the first time learning about it. I'm
0: I stumbled across it on TCM or MGM TV or, or something like that a while back, and it sat on my DVR for months because while I liked the idea of dinosaurs in a cowboy movie, it just wasn't one that drew my attention and drew my I don't know, and drove me to watch it. Soon, I mean, as soon as it recorded. I, I don't know if that's making a lot of sense. So the uh, bottom line is I recorded it, sat on my DVR for a long time. I finally watched it. It's okay. If it had a DVD release, I'd probably buy it just because that's the kind of collector that I am. <laughs> but it doesn't have the same sense of wonder as The Valley of Guanji does. Because the, huh? the animation just isn't there, huh? The animation just isn't there. And I don't know. It's, it's a notable movie because it is the first stop-motion effect movie shot in color. Hmm. But, I don't know, it's just not there. It was inspired by the same stories that O'Brien was inspired by to create, uh, and then later Harry has to create Guanji. Right. Yeah, in fact, according to Wikipedia, o-
3: O'Brien co-wrote the script under the pseudonym El Toro Estrella, The Bull Star.
0: <laughs> is, that what that's, is that the translation? Yep. The Bull Star. <laughs> yeah, the movie's just not nearly as good as The Valley of Guanji. It's all right, but not nearly as good. It had been a long time since I had seen The Valley of Guanji, so I'm incredibly grateful that Tracy brought it to the table, brought it to Monster Kid Radio for us to talk about here. I kind of felt bad because I knew that it was an important movie. The B-Movie cast covered it a couple years ago, and I wanted to talk about it during the Harryhausen three-week-in-a-row thing that we did here on Monster Kid Radio. That was totally unplanned. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it at least a couple of months later after the passing of The Master. I think it's probably one of the iconic Harryhausen films, or at least should be. I'd agree with that. And it definitely is uh, to be seen and hopefully eventually owned by me. <laughs> Tracy, how do people find you? We mentioned Disney a couple of times. And at the very beginning of this, I mentioned Disney Indiana. What What is Disney Indiana? Well, Disney
3: Indiana is an imaginary town where we invite people to come and join us. My husband, Scott, and I, we talk about pretty much anything and everything Disney, movies, theme parks, video games, just whatever kind of happens to catch our attention at the time. We put out a, a show every other week and we can be found at www.disneyindiana.com.
0: I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to monster kid radio. And I keep meaning to set up like a, a links page over at monster kid And when I do, I'll make sure that there's a link to Disney Indiana as well, because it's one of my favorite shows, and I, and I say that not because Scott and Tracy are such dear friends of mine as well, and by the way, don't tell Scott I called him your sidekick. Um, <laughs> if you want to know anything about Disney, go check this show out. Tracy and Scott bring a level of research and knowledge to their show. Uh, even if you think you know everything there is to know about a particular topic, they're going to prove you wrong because they just have the ability to find this information in, in these little nuggets of knowledge when it comes to Disney Disneyana and share it with their listeners in a very easy to listen to way you guys have been going for five years right yeah, we just celebrated
3: our fifth anniversary in July
0: you guys go check that out and I'm sure we'll have Tracy on the show down the line as well we'll have Scott on as well at some point again uh, I know Scott and I are planning a Christmas episode uh, later this year and we got to have Tracy back I mean we got to have a monster girl every once in a while right equal opportunity yes please <laughs> Tracy thanks for joining us on monster kid radio this week
3: I've had a great time thanks for having me on the show
0: You know who's awesome? Tracy is. I just got an email from her. She has a couple of other movies that she wants to talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. We're definitely going to have her back here on the show. We're also going to have her husband-slash-sidekick. Don't tell him I called him a sidekick. Scott Morris on the show in the future to talk about some Monster Kid-friendly disney films that was a fun recording to do as well so we'll be bringing that to you but next week's on the show well we've got something else
2: planned and we'll get into that right after this piece of feedback from tom bigler hey everybody tom bigler here i just wanted to call and leave a quick feedback uh thank derek for coming on out the other uh has well, been a couple of weeks now and watching matango which i think is an uh, underappreciated little movie uh, we had a great time. It was great to see Bren come on out. But I think he's coming out soon again. We're going to watch something else. Um I wanted to weigh in on um the great uh double parter that Derek and Larry Dr. Gangring Underwood did. Love the show. I'm in my early 50s, so I grew up in my formative monster kid years. Late 60s, early 70s. So for me, probably Peter Cushing... Because of Frankenstein and Van Helsing, he was probably num- number one. And probably Vincent Price was number one A uh, for my kind of uh, monster icons of uh, my uh, early teens. There was Bella and Boris and-, and Lon. But when I was a kid, they were a little too stodgy and old, you know, black and white stagey I like Christopher Lee I had a little problem I wouldn't put him in my very top just because the the roles I remember him in are uh, where he had a lot of makeup it would have been the mummy and then the Frankenstein monster he's been in a ton of great stuff but when you know when I was a kid that's kind of so I put him just below the top 2 I did want to talk about a movie I just watched uh, a little while ago, I've seen it before. It's <laughs> It stars Vincent Price. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. Well, he's top-billed. It's called Scream and Scream Again. This is from, uh, I think it came out in 1970. I'm pretty sure that... This is one of the ones that my dad took me to into the drive-in when I was young. I remember he used to take me to a lot of double features, triple features. I just read that this came out with uh, the incredible two-headed transplant as a double bill in 71. And I'm almost positive that's one my dad took me to. Anyway, Scream and Scream again. It's an <laughs> <it's a laughs> incredible movie. It has top billed Vincent Price. And then Christopher Lee's number two. And then number three is uh, Peter Cushing. So it's a pretty impressive cast. The reality of it is that Peter Cushing certainly is just in a cameo. The rest are, you know, they'd probably be billed like fifth and eighth if it uh, wasn't for the names involved. But this is just an incredible movie. It starts off with Jogger, has a heart attack, wakes up in a hospital bed, covered up. A nurse comes in to check on him. She doesn't say anything. He's, what's going on? He's coming out of some kind of a fog of course he throws his covers off and they he has one leg gone and he starts screaming and our next scene, we go right into uh, appears to be some communist country they have a strange uh, uh, pitchfork triad kind of symbol well you know what i'm (laughs) there is so much going on in this movie i'll just tell you some of the things that are in it. i'm not even going to get into the synopsis of anything there is let's see besides the big three who are always awesome there's uh acid baths there's uh involuntary uh limb harvestation there's uh Christopher Lee doing <laughs> the the Dracula stare there's uh, torture there's some nudity there's uh, just about everything you can imagine that a early seventies uh, drive-in movie would want to have. At its core, uh, the film is kind of a Frankenstein, a commie Frankenstein, thriller, police kind of story. I guess initially it was came from a book called The Disoriented Man by Peter Saxon in nineteen sixty six, and from my understanding, the bad guys in that were aliens. And instead of just being a communist regime of some kind and I think that was the way the movie was going to end, as them being aliens, but I think they decided against it. Anyway, Derek and I may have to talk about this one sometime, just <laughs> to try to get into all the subtle nuances of the whole thing. That's about all I wanted to say. Oh, one other thing before I go. Uh, I really appreciate <laughs> the opportunity to give one of my sculptures to Derek and Monster Kid Radio. I'm, I'm not really a sculptor, though, but I do the best I can. Um, I did want to throw out there, as I did in a little email, that uh, Derek's got some nice artwork he does. Um, he doesn't, uh, I don't think, I don't hear him discussing it at all, but I think it's something he should bring up, or I'll bring up. Anyway, take care, uh, loving the podcast as always, hope everybody uh, watches some good movies and sends them some feedback, and uh, take care. I'm out. I haven't seen Scream and Scream Again in a while, but I'm still familiar
0: enough with it to know exactly what he's talking about. And he has sent me a picture of a piece of artwork that he's working on, inspired by the movie. That looks awesome. I can't wait to see that to its completion. And I can't wait to talk about Scream and Scream Again here on the show. I think we're going to do it with Tom. We're going to have Tom back on the show to talk about this Benson Price classic. It's a little outside of the '30s or the '60s window that we try to cover here on Monster Kid Radio, but you know what? I don't mind toe dipping into the '70s. I don't mind. So dipping into the 80s or 90s, or even the now, if it's relevant to Monster Kids. So, definitely, we're going to be talking about Scream and Scream again here on the show with Tom down the line. And then Tom went and called me out for my own artwork. And you know what? I don't mind sharing that with people. I don't have a lot of it done. I actually suffered a little bit of a repetitive use injury in my right arm, kind of a weird carpal tunnel thing, but it wasn't in my wrist. It was up closer to my elbow, which made it hard to draw. But I'm starting to get back into that because I've been getting some treatment. I can draw again. It's not something that I've ever done really seriously. I used to draw a lot when I was a kid. I think my story is very similar to Tom's. I drew a lot when I was a kid, and then it's just one of those things that I didn't do as much as I got older. I'm, I'm rediscovering my love for art now, partly because I've become friends with so many great artists who are so inspirational makes me want to kind of dive back into doing that. So if you go over to my Facebook page, if you're on Facebook, you look for a folder. I believe it's called Monsters in Ink. I've posted a few of my pictures, and maybe down the line I'll post some of those over at monsterkidradio.net as well. Now, Tom sent in that piece of feedback by emailing me an mp3 at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, which you guys and gals are welcome to do. If you have anything that you want to hear on the show or hear me talk about here on the show, drop me a line or call me and leave a voicemail at 503-4795-MKR. And because I haven't done this lately, I want to give another shout out to Dom Doffel, listener of the show. The amazing fingers and technical abilities of Tommy D has made Monster Kid Radio possible because he has helped out with some computer problems that i had here a while back so again big shout out to tom Doffel. thank you so big shout out to tom biegler and big shout out to everybody who's listening to monster kid radio next week we're going to come back with chris mcmillan from the shadow over portland we're going to talk about a movie that well it's not a movie that i ever thought i'd cover on monster kid radio but you know what it makes perfect sense When he brought up The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, it made perfect sense. So we're going to be talking about this Don Knotts film next week on Monster Kid Radio. That's going to be a lot of fun. We'll do that next week. In the meantime, you guys and gals have a good rest of your week and a great weekend. And remember all this corporate shtick. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not extend to the song Mumula vs. the Moon Men from the band Mumula. It appears on their album, What in the Weird. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. By permission of the band, talk to everybody next week.